Today we're beginning a series of messages that I'm really excited about. It's a series on the Lord's Prayer. And I want to begin with some very interesting prayers that children have offered to God. If you're a parent, I think you'll appreciate these. The first is from a little girl named Debbie, age seven. Dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week just cries too much. <laughs> Hank, age seven. Dear God, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. Angela, age eight. Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brain so far he doesn't have any? And this is from David, age seven. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you please have one of your angels have a talk with my father? Here's another from Diane, age eight. Dear God, I'm saying my prayers for me and for my brother Billy because Billy is six months old and he can't do anything but sleep and wet his diapers. It's always good to have somebody else praying for you. And here's the last one. Susan, age nine. Dear God, tomorrow is my birthday. Could you please put a rainbow in the sky for me? Isn't that cute? You know, you can learn a lot about people from the kinds of prayers that they pray, and that was certainly true of Jesus and the disciples. The disciples spent a lot of time with Jesus, and they had been watching him very closely. And what they saw was a person who had a connection with God like no one they had ever seen before. And I suppose if you were to ask the disciples, hey, what is Jesus' secret? How does he have this, this close connection with God? I think they would give you a one-word answer, prayer. They had never seen anybody pray like Jesus before. And so at one point, the disciples actually come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Now, when exactly had the disciples seen Jesus pray? Well, certainly they'd seen him pray when his schedule got really demanding. As Jesus launched his public ministry, more and more people were coming to hear him, and people were lining up to be healed. And sometimes that was just overwhelming for Jesus. And so he would go off to a solitary place and pray to his Father in heaven. Another time that they saw Jesus pray was during big decisions. For example, when Jesus chose the people that would be his original disciples, he spent all night on a mountainside in prayer. Another time that Jesus prayed was when he was disappointed. There's a time, this is in Matthew 14, when Jesus finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. And how does Jesus respond? He goes off and spends time with his father and prays. Another time that Jesus prayed was when he was concerned about his disciples. There's a, a time in Luke, this is in chapter 22, where Jesus is really concerned about Peter. And this is a paraphrase, but he says, Peter, Satan wants to mess up your life, but I have prayed for you so that your faith would not fail. Think about that. Jesus prays for his disciples. In fact, he prays for us today. All throughout his ministry, Jesus prayed. And the disciples saw firsthand the difference that it made in his life. Jesus had this incredible peace, this incredible wisdom, this incredible strength. When Jesus prayed, stuff happened. And the disciples wanted to pray like that. They wanted to live like that. And so they came to Jesus and said, hey, would you teach us to pray? And church, as we begin this series, I believe we need to do the same thing. We need to come to Jesus both individually and as a church and make the same request. Lord, would you teach us to pray? And I know this, Jesus is eager to do that. But we need to realize it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us some time. We're going to have to do some Bible study and understand the dynamics of prayer. And we're going to have to actually do what? What do you think? Yeah, we've got to pray. And church, here's what I'm convinced of. If we will take God seriously in this matter of prayer, if we will learn what Jesus wants to teach us, 
Our prayers can and will change our lives and change our church. So what I want us to do this morning, in just a moment, is to say the Lord's Prayer together. Now, first I want to give you some rules of the road about reading Bible verses together because I don't know what kind of church background many of you have come from. Um, my church background, when we grew up in church and we would read verses together, it seemed to me there were certain unspoken rules about reading the Bible out loud. One rule was this, always read in a monotone without any hint of emotion. And the other rule was this, listen, it doesn't really matter if you think about the words, just keep up with everybody else, don't get left behind. Now, there was one, one pastor and he was talking about reading Bible verses in his church um, growing up as a kid, and he said, you know, if there was an emergency message that came up on the screens, here's how it would have been read at our church. The building is on fire. Lo, we must run for our lives. So that's how we don't want to read Bible verses together. So are you ready? Okay, I tell you what, why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to engage our heads and our hearts, and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. Here we go. This, then, is how you should pray. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Great job. Please have a seat. This morning, I want to point out two important lessons from the Lord's Prayer, and here's the first. This is on your outline. In prayer, we approach God as children coming to a father. In prayer, we approach God as children coming to a father, and this is so important for us to, to realize and to remember. When John F. Kennedy was president of the United States, Life magazine published a number of photographs of his kids, John Jr. and Caroline, playing in the Oval Office. And we found one of those photos this morning. I wanted to show it to you. This was an image that really captured the heart of America because here was John Kennedy, arguably the most powerful man in the free world, and yet at the same time, he's a father. Now, I don't think that your kids would be allowed to play in the Oval Office and my kids wouldn't be allowed to play there either, but his kids were. Why? Because John F. Kennedy is not only the president of the United States, he's also their dad. And when I saw that picture, I thought, you know, that really captures the heart of God because who is the sovereign ruler of this entire universe? It's God. But who also is our father? The same God. And so we can come before him with confidence as his dearly loved children. Now, when Jesus was talking about God, when he called God his father, the religious leaders were really offended. They were really upset that Jesus would refer to God as his father because they, they had this view of God as someone who was distant, somebody who was really demanding. They didn't have a view of a, a father who really was loving. And Jesus used a very interesting word. He used the word Abba. How many of you have heard that word before? This is really a, a term of endearment, and it was used by little kids. It was also used by adults, so it wasn't just a, a child's word, but it was a very tender word. And maybe the best way to translate Abba is this, dear father. And so Jesus, as he teaches his disciples to pray, says, okay, here's how you should pray. Our dear father in heaven. And so right 
at the beginning of the prayer, we realize that, that God is not just some impersonal force. Like Star Wars, may the force be with you. He is a father, and that really helps in terms of focusing our attention on God. And here's what I mean. Let's try a little thought experiment here. I want you to say the word silk and then spell it several times. Are you with me? Are you ready? Okay, say the word silk. Okay, S-I-L-K. Let's try it again. Silk, S-I-L-K. One more time. Silk, S-I-L-K. What does a cow drink? Yeah, some of you got it right. Some of you said water. Some of you said what? Milk. See, it's easy for our minds to drift, but Jesus wants us to focus our minds in prayer. We need to think about what we're saying. And we also need to think about to whom we are speaking, a God who reveals himself as our Father. However, this idea that God is our Father can present a problem for many people. Many people find it difficult to connect with God because of the experiences they've had with their human fathers. I was reading a study this week. It was a psychological study of 50 world-famous atheists, people like Sigmund Freud and Karl Marx and Nietzsche and Lenin. And this researcher discovered that all of these famous atheists had one thing in common. In fact, it was the only thing they had in common. They hated their fathers. Isn't that remarkable? Because it seems to point out that there is a strong correlation between their difficulty in connecting with their human fathers and their difficulty believing that God even exists. The fact is that there are no perfect dads. Every father is flawed. And the reality is that our, our experience with our dads often shapes our perspective about God. For example, if you grow up with a father that was unreasonable, you may think that God is unreasonable, that he places unreasonable demands on your life. Or if you grew up with a dad that was unreliable, you might think that God is unreliable, that God is distant, that God is detached, that he's just not concerned about you. Or maybe you grew up with a, a dad that was unpleasable. You never could do enough to earn his approval. And that's how you feel about God. No matter what you do, it is just never enough. So what does the Bible really teach about the fatherhood of God. Well, first of all, I want us to see this, and this is on your outline. God is a caring father. He's a caring father. This is a verse from 1 Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. One day the disciples were out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and a big storm kicked up. And who was sleeping in the back of the boat? Yeah, Jesus was sound asleep, and they wake him up, and they have a really urgent question. Lord, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Have you ever said something like that to God? God, do you see what's going on in my life? Do you see what's happening with our finances? Do you see what's happening with my health, with my family? God, don't you care if I drown? Let me give you a life lesson from the Bible. When Jesus is in your boat, you can make it through the most terrible storm. Now, you may take on some water, and there might be some scary moments, but Jesus will never leave you and never abandon you. Look at this verse again. Let's go back just for a second. It says, cast all your anxiety on him. Now, sometimes when we read that verse, we think about this. How many of you have ever fished before? Have you ever cast with a fishing pole? Okay, so you have to throw something. And we think, you know, i got to somehow pick up this burden. I've got to pick up this problem and somehow throw it up to God and, and then I'll take care of it. But that word cast in the original language means to drop, not to pick up and throw. 
And that makes a big difference, doesn't it? I mean, if I've got this heavy burden, I can just drop it at God's feet and know that God cares about me. And notice what it says. Cast how many of your anxieties on him? What does it say? Yeah, all. Do you think God cares about your job or that you need a job? Do you think um, God cares if uh, you need to relocate, if you need to sell your house? Does God care about that? Does God care about your marriage and about your kids and about your hopes and dreams? Well, of course, God cares about every single aspect of your life. There was a pastor um, who told a story about this man who comes into his office and this guy was going through a really tough time and he was really worried. Um, His kids were having trouble. He was in trouble financially. And he said this to the pastor. He said, you know, I, I think the reason I worry is because I just don't love God enough. And the pastor wisely responded. He said, no, that's not the reason that you worry. It's not because you don't love God enough. It's because you don't know how much God loves you, how much he cares about you. So when we pray, we pray to a father who is a caring father. And here's the second thing that I want you to see, that God is a consistent father, a consistent father. This is from the book of Psalms. My God is changeless in his love for me. One of the things I'm really thankful for is that God never has a bad day. Isn't that great? He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. God is totally consistent in his character. And when you look at the news these days, when you see what's happening in our nation, what's happening around the world, there's so much unrest and so much instability. I am so thankful, church, that we have a God who never changes. He is a God who always keeps his promises. And that can be an anchor for our souls and give us such hope in what often seems to be a hopeless world. So let's review quickly. What kind of father is God? First of all, God is what kind of God? You can look at your outline. He's a caring father. Secondly, he is a consistent father. And here's the third thing. God is a capable father. Capable father. Look at this verse from Ephesians. It says, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work where? Within us, the church. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. Let me ask you this. When you were a kid, did you ever brag about your dad? My dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's smarter than your dad. My dad's stronger than your dad. Ever do that? I did. And I remember when my kids were little growing up, they thought that I, as their father, was strong enough and smart enough to to do anything. I mean, if they got a flat tire, just take your bike to dad. He'll fix it. Um, A toy got broken, take it to dad. He'll put it back together. Head fell off the Barbie doll. No worries. Dad knows how to put the head back on the Barbie doll. He can do anything. And I remember thinking about my dad exactly the same way. Something happens as we grow up. We come to realize that our dads can't fix everything. They can't fix broken dreams, and they can't fix broken relationships, and they certainly can't fix broken hearts. But there's a God who can Jesus said this about his father, with God, how much is possible? Yeah, all things are possible. You know, I'm so thankful that as God looks at my life, he doesn't just wring his hands and say, man, I feel your pain, I wish there was something I could do. God is capable of doing everything necessary to accomplish his purpose in my life and in your life. And God can do everything necessary to accomplish his purpose for our church. Why? Because he is a capable father. So church, I really want you to get this, so let's go over it one more time, okay? What kind of father is God? First of all, caring father. What's the second thing? 
Consistent father, what's the third thing? Capable, and here's number four, and it starts with a letter C, so I can remember them. He is a close father. He is a close father. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Speaking of prayer, to all who call on him in truth. Now, here's a really intriguing thought. When Jesus uses this phrase, our Father in heaven, one of the ideas that he may have been communicating is not that God is way up there in heaven, you know, far away from us. He may have been communicating the idea that God is really close. And here's what I mean. In the Greek language, the word air and heaven are the same word. They can be translated interchangeably. And in chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about the birds of the air, it could be translated the birds of the heavens. And so it's possible that what Jesus is really saying when he says, our Father in heaven, is the idea that God is as close as the air that's around you all the time. That he is a Father who is incredibly close by, as close as your next breath. This week I was looking at a story, and it's about a tribe of Native American Indians. And they have this really unique way of um, having young braves become men. Um, when boys are 13 years old, they are taken to the forest, blindfolded, and left there all night long. Now, that's a pretty, pretty harrowing experience for them because they've never been away from their family, never been away from their tribe. And you can imagine this 13-year-old brave um, hearing a twig snap and imagining that a wolf is going to leap out of the darkness and devour him. And he goes through this all night long. And then as the sun starts to come up, as the light begins to filter through the forest, he begins to see things like the trees and the rocks. And then looking right next to him, he sees the figure of a man with a bow and arrow. And as the light dawns, he recognizes who it is, his father. His dad has been there all night long, watching over him and protecting him. And friends, when you think about it, there are times when we feel like we're surrounded by darkness. Isn't that true? But the reality is that God sees through the darkness. And our Father is always close by, always ready to accomplish his purpose for our lives. So lesson number one, in prayer we approach God as children coming to a father. And very briefly, here is lesson number two. God has given us the privilege and responsibility of praying with and for others. We have this incredible privilege and responsibility of praying with and for others. There's a movie that I saw a number of years ago that had a lot to say about prayer. It's the movie Bruce Almighty. Has anybody ever seen that film before? I've got a clip that I want you to see in just a few moments, but I need to set it up. Some of you know the story that Jim Carrey is a reporter, um, Bruce Nolan, and he's just very unhappy with his life. And he really has a lot going for him, especially his girlfriend, Grace, who just loves him dearly, played by Jennifer Aniston. But he has this really, really bad day, and so he starts yelling at God, and, and he's just in a rage. And so God appears in human form and basically says, hey, Bruce, um, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to give you my powers. See if you can do a better job running the world. Now, in this clip that I want you to take a look at, Bruce discovers that his girlfriend, Grace, has been constantly praying for him. Let's watch. Bye. Grace. does pray a lot. Find Grace and Bruce. Dear God, please help Bruce find himself, find contentment, find you. Dear God, please help Bruce. He's 
seems to be struggling. Dear God, give Bruce strength. Dear God, bless Bruce. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. It's her. Sandy, it's her. She's logging on. She's praying right now. If you've seen the movie, you know that that is not the light of heaven, right? It is the headlights of an 18-wheeler that's going to hit Bruce and change his life. He survives, but he learns about prayer. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand, that in this prayer, we have the privilege and responsibility of praying with and for others. And you think about the words of the Lord's Prayer. What are the first two words? Our Father, not my Father. That's how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And as you get further into the prayer, you realize that you're not just praying for yourself because it says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. And church, here's the reality. Christianity is not just about believing. It's about belonging to a family of people that you share your life with people who are willing and able to pray with you and for you. And I just want to say this, you know, after the services on Sunday morning, I tell you, if you have a prayer need, just go to the cross. And we have people there every week, and I'm so thankful for our Stephen ministers who are willing, week after week, to pray with you and for you, because that's what Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. Now, speaking of being self-centered in prayer versus praying for other people, listen to this story. As my five-year-old son and I were headed to McDonald's one day, we passed a car accident. Usually, when we see something like that, we say a prayer for those who might have been hurt. So I pointed and said to my son, we should pray. From the back seat, I heard his earnest request. Please, God, don't let those cars block the entrance to McDonald's. Think about this. How much do you pray for yourself versus praying for others? One of the hallmarks of the early church is how they prayed for one another. There's a great story in the book of Acts. And it's about a time that the church was facing severe persecution from a king. His name is Herod. And Herod has one of Jesus' disciples, James, arrested and then executed. And he sees it. That really pleases a lot of people. So he has Peter arrested. And he's probably going to execute Peter as well. So what does the church do? Church prays. In fact, look at this Bible verse. It says this, So Peter was kept in prison, but, 
but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And church, there is such an important lesson in this story for us. First of all, the lesson is this. We need to pray for the people that God has placed in our lives. If you're a guy who's married, I want to encourage you to pray with and for your wife. If you've never done that before, I pray that this series will be an opportunity for you to begin. And we'll talk about some ways to do that. Parents, I urge you to pray with and for your children. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your friends. Pray for the people that God brings into your life. But church, as we continue to pray, we need to expand our prayer circles and pray for people in positions of authority. Now, I want to show you a verse about that express thing. It's found in 1 Timothy. And it says this, I urge you, first of all, and this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. As you make your request, plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. And then Paul goes on and says this, pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority, like judges and senators and politicians and presidents. And here's the reason, so that we can live in peace and quietness and godliness and dignity. And church, if ever there was a time that the church needs to mobilize and pray for our leaders, it is now. We were praying this morning at 8 o'clock. We do that every Sunday. Our staff gets together and we pray. And one of the things that came out of that prayer was this thought that People often have this question, well, why should we pray? If God's got it all figured out, if God's in charge and God is sovereign and he's already got a plan, why pray at all? Have you ever heard that question or thought that yourself? I've had people very close to me in my own family ask me that question. And here's my answer. Because God has sovereignly chosen to allow our prayers to shape the outcome of future events. Now, how do I know that? Because of the story in Acts about Peter, as well as other Bible stories. Because think about this. Does God know the, the possible outcome of any situation? Well, of course. God knows what's going to happen if you don't pray, and God knows what's going to happen if you do pray. And think about Peter. Now, he's in prison. What are some possible outcomes? I mean, he could stay in prison. He could be executed. He could miraculously be released. And which outcome actually occurs? Yeah, an angel comes and releases Peter from prison. Why? Because the church was earnestly praying. When you look at the stories in the book of Acts, this is what you realize. In the first century, history was shaped by the prayers of God's people. Now you think about the 21st century. I believe with all my heart that the history of the 21st century can be dramatically influenced and shaped by the prayers of God's people. And so church, I want to encourage you to pray to learn how to pray more effectively and more powerfully. That's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. Because think about this. Can prayer shape the future of your family? Yes, it can. And prayer can shape the future of our church family, of our nation, of our world. And so because of that, Jesus wants us to learn how to pray. Now, we've looked at this first phrase in the Lord's Prayer this morning, Our Father in Heaven and this opening phrase raises a really important question, and the question is this. Is God everyone's father? Or to ask it another way, is everybody a child of God? Now, we've probably heard the phrase child of God used in this sense that, you know, God's created everybody, and so in that sense, they're a child of God. 
But that's not how that term is used in the scripture. To be a child of God means that you've been adopted into God's forever family, that you have a relationship with him. And that was exactly the mission of Jesus Christ, to restore our relationship with God. In fact, in John's gospel, in chapter one, it says this, to all who believed him and accepted him, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So the question is, what do you have to believe to become a child of God? And the Bible's very clear. You have to believe the gospel, the good news. And of course, the good news begins with the bad news, that we have a heart problem. We come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose, his plan for our lives. And the Bible calls that sin. And our sin, our disobedience, our inability to obey God's command, to love him with all of our heart and to love our neighbor, that sin separates us from God. And that's because God is holy and God is just. And God can't just look the other way and say, hey, it's no big deal. God has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And the Bible is clear. That punishment is to die and to be separated from God forever. And into the darkness of that bad news shines the brilliant light of the gospel. And we're thinking about that. You see this following Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus said this. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the light of the world left his home in heaven. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, comes to our world, becomes one of us, lives a perfect life, and then is willing to exchange his life for ours. And that's what happens on the cross. God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And this this anger of God, this wrath of God against us and our sin is poured out on Jesus, and he dies. He is crushed for us. And then God raises him to life, and Jesus says, look, I want to give you a new life. I want you to come and follow me, but here's what you need to do. You need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to believe that that I'm who I claim to be and that I died for your sins and came back to life. And you need to choose to follow me. And friends, following Jesus is a call to trust him. It's a call to obey him. It's a call to have a close connection with him through prayer. And so as we launch into this series, I want to challenge all of us because I don't know where all of you are in terms of prayer. But I do know this. I want all of us to take our prayer life to the next level. And I've already been challenged to do that in my own life. And, And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it means just being more consistent in terms of praying. Maybe it's best for you to pray in the morning before you start your day. For some people, they like to pray at night. For others, they fall asleep when they're praying at night. So one size doesn't fit all. You can find a rhythm of prayer. You can pray throughout the day. You can get a prayer journal and write down your prayers. And in that prayer journal, record God's answers. You might want to try what Daniel did in the Old Testament. Pray three times a day. Just set an alarm on your watch or your iPad. But the idea is to to foster this close connection with God and to realize that you're coming to him as a son or a daughter, coming to your dear father. And let me just close with this thought. One of the universal needs that people have is this, the approval of our dads. Now, some of us grew up and we had that sense of acceptance, that sense of approval, but that is not true for so many people. For many people, they had a dad who was absent. Sometimes it was a dad who was abusive, either verbally or physically. But even so, you have this deep need to to find the approval and acceptance of your dad. And here's the truth. You may never find that when it comes to your human father because sometimes our dads are just so so broken themselves 
that they can't love us the way that we need to be loved. And sometimes our fathers have died and, and so there's really not a way to connect with them and experience that approval. But listen, church, for every single one of us, there is a God, a Father, who knows everything about you and loves you completely. And he longs to give you his acceptance and his approval. And he is a father who saw you take your first breath. He is a father who's been there every day, every moment of your life. He knows every tear that you've cried, every joy, every sorrow, every success, every failure. And this very moment, your father in heaven longs for you to come to him and to pour out your heart to him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, today, we are so thankful that we can call you our dear Father. And Father, we're thankful that you're a caring Father, a consistent Father, a capable Father, a Father who is as close as our next breath. And Lord Jesus, would you please do this? Would you teach us how to pray? I mean, Lord, to really pray, to pray with passion and with power and effectiveness. Teach us how to connect with our Father. Teach us, Lord, how to live with joy and strength and peace regardless of our circumstances. Lord, teach us to pray like you prayed and to live like you lived. And dear Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being your, your child, your son, or your daughter. And God, I pray today for the person who maybe for the very first time has realized, hey, I'm not really a child of God because I've never trusted Jesus and, and surrendered my life to him. Lord, I pray that today that man, that woman, that teenager, whoever it may be, that they would come to you and say, Lord, thank you for dying in my place. I believe that you're who you are, you claim to be, and, and I want to follow you, and I want to surrender my life to you. God, I know you always hear that prayer. And Father, I pray this. Make us more consistent in our prayers. God, help us to pray passionately for our family and our friends and for people in positions of authority. God, help us to really believe that our prayers will shape the future. God, we are thankful for Jesus, thankful that he prays for us even now, thankful that he is the King of glory.
Church, receive this blessing now from God's heart to yours. And now may the amazing grace of our Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God our Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Amen. Thanks for being here. Go in his peace.